Okay, back again, episode four. After our series with New York, um, coming back, Cincinnati playing Minnesota tomorrow. At the time of the recording, we are seven back in the division and four back of the wild card. So ultimately, how are we uh, viewing the team right now, just in general, you know, some things that you saw in the series? What do you think? Well, we went five and seven on total on the road trip. Um, Overall, two very tough losses, but five very encouraging wins. Um, I mean, overall, um, you know, obviously the trade deadline really helped uh, bolster the bullpen. Um, Michael Givens, Luis Sessa, Justin Wilson were much needed boosts. And then, you know, obviously you got TJ Antone and Lucas Sims waiting in the wings, you know, trying to get active and healthy. Um, Sims is currently rehabbing Louisville. Uh, Antone's throwing. Um, so, bullpen wise, um, looking very bright for the future. Um, obviously, uh, that one loss in New York, um, questionable decision by David Bell, uh, putting in Sean Doolittle. Very questionable instead of one of the new uh, bullpen arms that we just traded for. Um, Doolittle, uh, in my opinion, is definitely the weak link uh, in that bullpen. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think you hit it right on the head with the questionable decision. And usually, I think everybody who talks to me about the Reds is I. I really stand up for a lot of stuff that happens because ultimately I think nobody's like no manager is ever going to be perfect or, you know, the players aren't going to, you know, as much as Louis Sess has looked good all year, especially with New York coming to Cincinnati and uh, Heath Hembree has been really good for a stretch. And we've had these guys that have been super good for stretches. Um, you're never going to have somebody that comes in and throws a scoreless three up, three down inning every single time they come in. And I think uh, I kind of am at the forefront of standing up for a lot of stuff that happens. But I mean, ultimately, I just don't see. I just never, as soon as they shoot, they showed Sean Doolittle warming up in the bullpen and like getting ready quickly, not like, you know, just in case like these runs score, like this tying run scores and we put it or like just whatever, like with a lead that slim runners on base. It's very, uh, as much as it pains me to say, I just, I have no idea how, Sean Doolittle is the one you go to. I mean, if you're looking for like a strikeout, the guy swung at three, like two or three pitches all game that were 
probably at his forehead on a fastball. And then you throw off speed, it, which wasn't a bad pitch, but when you've got a guy that's like, he's obviously like going to swing at stuff outside of the zone. And then you throw a little looper that you'd barely throw all year inside the zone. To me, it just didn't make a lot of sense. And you had him in that count. Um, you had him in a one-two count. If you throw that curveball in a dirt, I think we win that game personally. But to, I just have no idea why it's over the plate at all. Because um, even if you walk him, I'd rather take my chances with him swinging outside the zone, even if he doesn't. Kevin Pillar is the next batter up in the order. And I think that's when the decision to bring Sean Little Doolittle in comes into question because you just I mean if you're looking for a strikeout, why not put in um a guy that's got more than one pitch? Um I mean he's throwing a fastball ninety something percent of the time. I just very, very questionable and it was a very, very winnable game. I don't think it's all on um necessarily uh one person or one like little like it's not all on the bullpen it's not all on the offense it's not all on the manager but like you had a lot of opportunities to um, to expand that lead you had a lot of opportunities on the mound and then bringing in guys that pitch more to contact when you're looking in a situation for a strikeout to me, doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And obviously on um, Twitter, um, the Reds got put through the ringer. But, you know, just questionable decisions that you, there's really, I don't want to say no excuse for, but, like, I just don't understand the thought process behind I don't like Sean Doolittle from the start. Didn't like the signing. You know, I just don't understand why he still is getting opportunities when time and time again he's shown that he's not what he used to be and he's still getting in situations late in the game where you're looking for him to strike guys out. He's just not that guy. Especially when he only has that one pitch, that fastball. And his velocity and spin rate is down from years past. Yeah, that. I mean, so not to mention, I had about a hundred dollars on that game, and kicked me right in the ass. When you're up four-one against a team that's like, yeah, Javi hits the home run, Baez hits the home run. Okay, like happens. I still don't think you throw anything over the plate in that situation again. But, you know, I'm not the guy out there making decisions or whatever. They they play and that's fine, but I I still just don't understand the you've got guys that will swing at anything that's even near the plate. So why are you throwing eighty six on the plate? Like, it needs to be, like, movement. I would have loved to see 
a changeup that hit the back of the plate right there. But I just don't get how you – and Chris Welsh was saying on the broadcast as soon as the pitch was thrown, like you've got a guy that's swinging out of his shoes. He swung at two pitches that are already outside the strike zone, and then we throw something inside the strike zone. So mistakes happen, yes. Ultimately, when you look at like the pick, the pitch tracks of it, it wasn't a bad pitch, but like it's still to me like you have to understand if a guy's gonna swing at something two feet off the plate, why even throw anything on the plate? Especially with the swing he's got. He's just trying to put the barrel in the zone and just hit it 500 feet. He doesn't care if he strikes out. So in that situation, like, I still just – it goes back to, I think, how do you throw something over the plate when a guy's proven to you that he'll, he'll swing at anything? Especially with Wade Miley, it's not like he's got lights out stuff. I mean, he's gonna they're they're gonna like put bat on ball. So to me, it just didn't really make a whole lot of sense, especially with a guy on base. You know, not my prerogative cutter up in the zone, but especially when it's eighty six, eighty eight, whatever it is, high eighties, it's not. You're just not like guys have enough time to react to that. So to throw that up in the zone and kind of just didn't make sense to me. And what I really would have liked to see, and maybe you or others will have different opinions, but, um, you know, we, I think we agree on this, but Hembry in the ninth there, um, you know, we traded for these guys. Um, we, we got them on good deals and we got them on, you know, not a whole lot in return. Like we didn't have to give up a lot and that's fine. But ultimately, what I'm kind of second guessing there is you've got a guy in the bullpen with a 275 ERA now, but before was around 25, and who has shown that he's very, very reliable. Why not give him that opportunity in the ninth? Why not give Givens that opportunity in the ninth? You know, I, I, Heath Hembree's been great for us this year because he's given us stability at times, but you, you trade for guys that are shut down guys, can come in, give you an inning, and that's it. And that's great for us. So why not use <laughs> your resources? I mean, and then you're, you're putting Sessa in a tough spot where now he's got a runner on second, nobody out, instead of clean inning. If he gets that first guy, I just think there's no way they score that run, um, especially with – I mean, he's got a 2.75 ERA after he gave up a run. And 
Givens, the stat with him was he only gave up one earned run outside Coors Field. So we're sitting here and we're trading for these pieces at the deadline and then giving the ball to Heath Embry. To me, that's just not like – and I will always stand up for David Bell because, like I said, the the manager spot is easily the most criticized spot on the field. You could roll – you could make every right decision and try to press all the right buttons. And if that one guy doesn't get that hit at that one time, you look like an idiot. And, but like, to me, if you throw Sessa out there or Givens, they give up that run. We lose the game. It's like, okay, whatever. But then you put Heath Embry and Sean Doolittle in, and it's like, okay, now we've got a gripe because you, you're putting guys in that have proven to us that they're not that throw him out there, you know he's going to get three outs. Right. And to what sort of compounded that for me was, you know, Bell has used Henry in ninth inning situations before this year. It, it not – Henry has been the stability – in the bullpen where there hasn't been any sort of consistency. But in my eyes, he is not that closer type of pitcher where you can just hand him the ball and say, okay, you've got the ninth with a one-run lead, shut him down. Um, You know, like you said, we just acquired Sessa. He's basically a Swiss Army knife in that bullpen. You can use him in any situation that you want. Michael Gibbons has shut down the door when needed uh, for the Rockies. Like you said, uh, one earned run outside of Coors Field. I agree that, you know, David Bell has done a – has done a much – has has done a terrific job with the pieces that he's been given, but it, it's mind-boggling how you don't go to one of those guys in that situation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think there's anybody on the planet that would look at Brock. Uh, I can't remember if he was used already in that game or not, uh, but Let's just say the three options. Let's say Embry, given Sessa, and you can choose and do little, and you can choose between those four, and you chose the the two guys with the the blown up ERA and that have come up and proven to you that they can't do it. And like why not? I just don't get the like I I just don't get it. That just blows my mind that that happened. Um, and even even if you put Givens in the game or Sessa in the game and they blow it, okay, it's fine. Like I'm not. We're talking more about okay. He could have made pitches better. Like could have made better pitches and better locations and stuff like that. But we're talking about guys that just, I mean, Henry really throws fastball slider 
and Doolittle throws fastball. So to me, it's just not a lot of uh, common sense there, but it is just one game ultimately. And it sucks that we lost because you are trying to, I mean, you're trying to win, but ultimately we didn't win the series, you know. Um, and I think that really is something to build on because that New York team is, I mean, they aren't slouches up there. Like you had that lineup is finally getting back to sort of what it was not like fully, but you had McNeil in there. You had Dom Smith, you had P Alonzo, you had Conforto, even though he's been struggling this year, like Lind- uh, not Lindor, Baez, uh, Guillermo did, uh, Tom- uh, Nito did like, you know, you've got a lot of guys in there that are their core pieces. So I really think it is something to build on that we did win two out of three, but there's always going to be that thought of like, how many games have we had that we've blown like this? And if we even win like half of those games, where would we be at the standings right now? Like you're talking a completely different scenario. So that's always going to be in the back of my mind, at least. Um, you know, I'm still going to support the team, obviously. Like, I'm not going to, like, stop watching or anything. But, like, it's just frustrating to to think that you're leaving games on the table in a tight race like this. Hey, five and two road trip. Uh, but, I mean, you, you break up the three Stooges in Chicago. Get... Uh, a fitting end to Bryant, Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo uh, losing to the Reds. Um, obviously, Baez loses twice more to the Reds. Um, but yeah, that those two losses were heartbreaking and uh, definitely ones that we should have won. The Three Stooges, I've never heard that before. That, that's a good one. That's a real good one. Um, I just like, you know, there. Anthony Rizzo to Chicago is kind of like Joey to like Joey Votto to Cincinnati. And I get that they'll love him, but there's like, I'll always just remember he, like when David Bell, when like the COVID season and the 60 games and nobody was really supposed to get into like on field fights, whatever it was, like fights, quote-unquote, whatever it is, just pushing matches and yelling at each other. But And David Bell comes out, and he talks to the umpires for about 15 seconds, and Anthony Rizzo thinks it's his job in Great American Ballpark with no crowd to step in and say, oh, well, you're trying to ice my pitcher. Like, did it – are you kidding me? David Ross was out there the half inning before – barking at the umpires like i understand that he's like your guy and like he won that team world series and you know he'll always be a fan favorite and whatever but good god almighty like it's not your place like you're not like the judge and jury of baseball like it's fine like you don't have to step in and say your two cents 
I I will never like now Brian I don't really have like a gripe with. I mean, he's just a really good player and he played for Chicago. If he played for the Reds, I'd love him. I mean, it's awesome. But and he just so happened to just absolutely mash against us. Mm-hmm. But you know, you've got the other two guys and I think even like like Wilson Contreras and Kyle Schwarber. Um, like I just remember like Javi Baez and uh, and Wilson Contreras when they they're big emotion guys love to show emotion you know you saw when Wilson Contreras like he hit a home run and the camera it's on uh, I think it's like Sunday Night Baseball or Monday Night Baseball whatever it was and he flips the bat and it sh- it shows in the camera that's pointing at the home run in the sky. He flipped it that high up in the air. And, uh, and then Kyle Schwarber turns around and Amir Garrett strikes, strikes him out, shows emotion on the mound. And Kyle Schwarber is telling him that he can't do that. Like if, if you're allowed to show emotion and do whatever you want and like flip your bat screen, you know, do all this, talk shit, whatever, then they're allowed to do it too. You, you like who who granted that these three, four, five guys, whoever were were like the moral police of baseball. Like they're the exact opposite of what you know Rizzo telling Belly can't come out and argue and that it's bullshit that he's coming out nice in his pitcher. Um, Wilson Contreras gets in Tyler Flowers' face as he's as he's crossing home plate, and then um, he gets thrown at, and he's like, "What do I do? What, what the hell?" Like, and then um, flips his bat up in the air, and then Kyle Schwarber yells at uh, Amir Garrett coming off the mound, and it's like, "You guys do the exact same thing." So, what are we? Are are we? Is it? You just want you to do it, or you just don't want to get shown up. Is what it is. I mean, we are talking about the guys who, in a blowout, will you know bat flip and uh, and throw their arms up in the air and do all these stupid celebrations and handshakes and pat each other on the ass and yell and everything like that when they're down like nine to nothing. So. Yeah, you flip the bat and then you look up at the scoreboard and realize it's uh, the eighth inning in the third game of the series. You've lost the first two, and you're still down by seven runs. Like, yeah, sure, go ahead. Like, okay, we'll we'll take the series. Like, I don't know what else to say. Uh, that's just mind-boggling to me. And I don't want to get into like this unwritten rule stuff, but I feel like when you're down, like when you're getting blown out in like the final innings of a game and you hit like a home run off a guy that might pitch 30 innings all year, like just go. Like, I I just don't get it. Like, yeah, you can be happy and show this emotion and whatever, but ultimately like you're getting your ass kicked. Like, and maybe bad timing, but Trevor Bauer last year when he um, 
when he threw he threw into the eighth inning against the Cubs and they were shit talking as he was getting pulled out because in the eighth he allowed two base runners on first and second. And then after the game, he goes, you know, I just don't know how I can shove it up your ass for seven innings and then come off the mound and you're still talking like that's just something that I don't get. If, if you're getting beaten that badly that the other team is just like, there are 162 games like station to station. You're not really like, you're not stealing bases. You're not like trying to like, I don't want to say not go a hundred percent, but you're not going a hundred percent. Everybody knows it. You know, you're just trying to end the game because nine runs in the eighth inning is like, you know, when you've got four outs to play with, like, it's just not going to happen. So, yeah, I'm salty about it. Always will be. I'm going to be pissed. That's how I feel. So, moving on. Trade deadline's over, and, you know, we've kind of been back and forth on a lot of this stuff. Um, before we mention that, though, today it was announced – the um, teams of the month, player of the month, rookie of the month. Kyle Farmer was the shortstop on the MLB team of the month. Joey Votto was the first baseman on that and was the NL player of the month. And Jonathan Rookie was – Jonathan Rookie. Jonathan India was the rookie of the month, the NL rookie of the month. So – how are – I mean, I just don't think it's a secret at this point. I think Jonathan India is 100% the rookie of the year. Um, I don't think there's any way that he can't be. Um, just what he means to this team, if you take him out and you put, like, Mike Freeman at second, you're talking about a completely different team. How we might have been sellers at the deadline. So – um, I just don't think, like, to say that he's not the rookie of the year is, like, especially with Trevor Rogers being injured and kind of being on and off the field. And, you know, he, like, he had a start the other day where he threw, like, three innings. And it wasn't that he gave up a lot of runs or whatever. It was just that he's been on and off the field, you know, pitch count, stuff like that. So, when you've got a guy that can't stay healthy and can't stay on the field, he's not the rookie of the year. Like it's just not going to happen. So. I mean, does he have your attention now? MLB <laughs> three nineteen four seventy five twenty seven splits in the month of Ju- in the month of July. I mean, he has been like we mentioned that much needed presence at the plate and lead spot. He hits like a freaking veteran. And it's his first year in the league. It's pretty obvious to me that he's the rookie of the year. I mean, when you put up a 400 on pace as a leadoff hitter, you're doing your job no matter what. Like, that's just been unbelievable to set the table for guys like, um, like Winker as of late, um, like Farmer. He's been hot. Vado. I mean, 
Stevenson when he's hitting that three hole. It, when you've always got somebody that's on base four out of ten times, more than likely you're setting yourself up for success no matter what. So not only to mention, like, I think it showed a lot of maturity when Carrasco was on the mound. And, like, you know he's going to, like, first start of the year, he's throwing you a fastball, and you're, like, selling out for it. Not only do you sell out for it, you do it. You execute it. Like, you hit the ball out. I mean, and that was just a huge, like, tone setter for that crowd in New York, you know, all the talk about the black jerseys. Um, you know, Carlos Carrasco's first start just acquired Baez, like a lot of things that their fans can get behind and that the front office can get behind and stuff like that. So to like silence that crowd early, I thought was huge, huge for that series. Absolutely. And uh, all those Mets fans booing him, like, I'll tell you what, the Mets fans have to be like at least top five of my least favorite fans in the, in Major League Baseball now. Like, especially, especially when I went to that game, uh, when was it, uh, a couple weeks ago. I'll tell you what, they are some of the most annoying, uneducated fans in baseball. That might just be New York fans for both teams in general, but Absolutely. but we'll stay away from that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just to say that he's not rookie of the year, be just completely, and I don't think it's even from a bias like red standpoint. When you've got a rookie hitting 277, 280, 277, yeah, with a 401 on base. And 834 OPS. I mean, he he's exactly what you said. He looks like a veteran, like a five, ten-year veteran up at the plate, you know, doing a lot of different things for this team. And it's really, really helped us out. Um, but talk about Joseph Daniel Votto. I mean, almost eight games, missed it by what, foot and a half, maybe, if that. Um Seven straight games, hit nine home runs in seven games. That's just for a guy that's 37 and a lot of a lot of fans on Twitter, you know, chirp a lot and because of his age and when when he's down, they're always gonna go back to that. But like for that's just a guy that's been especially with Cassianos going down been a real driving force for that five and two road trip. Absolutely. That, that was a real, real big pick me up. Um, and then, you know, obviously just inches away from, uh, from breaking that record. I'll tell you what, that, that freaking dumpster fire of the stadium. <laughs> dumpster fire should have burned the entire stadium down. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there there was a 
terrific article by Fangraphs uh, that I saw today. I mean, he that that with the stats that they provided, he's hitting the ball harder than he has in the past five, six years. And he's 37 years old. I mean, that is ageless wonder if there ever was one. I mean, 319, 440, 734 slash this month, 11 home runs, 25 RBIs. That is just insane. And then he also won uh, the NL Player of the Week uh, this last week. Um, It's – he was doing Barry Bonds-esque stuff this past week with seven home runs – or, pardon me, seven consecutive games with a home run. I mean, that's insane. I mean, I saw the same thing and – um, the same article that you're talking about. And it was really like, because when you think back to like 2017 and 2010, those were like super, super standout years for him. And just to read them off in 2017, finished second in MVP voting behind Giancarlo Stanton, which sucks because that's when Giancarlo Stanton was really like 50 home runs, hitting the ball a million feet every time he did, but we're going to read off this stat line from 2017, 36 home runs, a hundred RBIs walked, walked 154 times, only struck out 83 hit 320 with a 454 on base, a 578 slugging, which is a one point. 032 OPS. And to say that that season and his MVP season, obviously, where he had very, very similar stats, a little more power, um, struck out a little bit more, but um, he's hitting the ball a lot harder than those seasons. And you're like, wow, like you wouldn't even think you're looking at the stats. Him and Jesse Winker have the same amount of home runs. And, yeah, nine of them have come in the last seven games. That's impressive to think about. Vado's played about 20 less games. So, you know, to say that I think we, we really have to appreciate what he ha- what he is and what he has been and – it's just been like a Hall of Famer. I mean, think about this. He's got a career average of 303, a career on base of 417, and a career slugging of 519. That is unbelievable. A career on base of 417? That's like unheard of. So I really think that we just have to like – because he is getting a little older, you know, but his performance has stayed solid and he's always been, you know, the Hall of Famer. Which is unbelievable at 37 to be doing that. But, okay, 
So moving along from, um, from that, we'll go back to, to uh, the trade deadline stuff. So ultimately, it's over. I mean, done, passed, a lot of stuff happened. I mean, I didn't even, when I uh, looked at it, I like, there's just so many moving parts that have happened and not only in the National League, but in the American League as well, where a lot, a lot of big names are moving teams and even a lot of names that nobody really talks about that can really, really affect how these teams um, how these teams push for the postseason and how they perform in the postseason. You know, I think a, a big trade that really, I think, goes under the radar, I think the Phillies grabbing Ian Kennedy from the Rangers is really, really big for that. Um, you know, he's not a big name that's talked about, like, you're going to talk about Kyle Gibson in that trade because he is a starter and he's having this phenomenal year, but like you, I've haven't really seen much on, on like Ian Kennedy and he's been one of the best relievers in baseball this year. Right. And you know, it, it started um, a couple years ago, I believe when uh, he went to the Rangers from Kansas city after converting to a reliever and he just started throwing like it was a, he was at the beginning of his career and he's like a 35 year old veteran and you know obviously you know you mentioned how well he's done this year he's got like a 2.5 ERA and he's just been lights out out of, out of that bullpen and you know he was one of the guys that I thought um, we would be targeting um, just because of his uh, the sort of lightness on his contract, you know, I, I didn't really expect we go after someone like Wilson, who has like this really big, like ten million dollar contract, compared to Kennedy, who's on like a one year one million dollar deal or something like that. Yeah, so. I mean. Like there was, there's probably like, there's a lot of stuff that the public doesn't see, you know, trade talks and maybe offers that got declined or um, like counter offers and stuff like that. Like a lot of that you don't see. So you, I can't really like say for sure that we didn't like offer something, but I would figure he would be one of the guys that you make like this big push towards. And especially, like, they packaged Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy. So, if we imagine if we would have gotten both Gibson and Kennedy, not that it would, you know, that necessarily that's what we were going for, because I don't really think we're, like, shooting for starting pitching at this point which maybe is a uh, maybe is a afterthought which shouldn't be but you know it's just the way it is our bullpen really need to focus but they traded away their 2017 
second round pick who like a prospect in their system. I mean, they gave away guys that aren't really like, they're not top names, not even, not in the MLB system, not even in the Philly system. So I really would have thought that we could have offered something for, for Ian Kennedy. And I really think we could have got him if we made the right push, um, which sucks to say, but it's hard. Like it's hard to argue that to not go after a guy with a two nine seven ERA, you know, um, hard to argue against that. So, um, ultimately I think the Reds were, the Reds as a team were very, very like positively affected, like in that clubhouse, big moral up boost. Um, and I think it obviously showed on the field, but you get guys that are lights out in the bullpen. Um, the only thing that there wasn't really a lot of movement within the um, division besides Adam Frazier leaving. Um, no real, like, I mean, the Brewers got Telez a little bit back, but nothing really, like, spectacular. Um, I think what we're really going to have a problem with is, like, when if we make the postseason, a lot of these teams added, and I mean – Trey Turner and Max Scherzer going to LA. Um, you know, you've got Adam Frazier going to San Diego, even with Tatis hurt. Um, like as much as I don't like Baez, he doesn't have to be this 35 home run guy on the Mets. So if he can like cut down on the strikeouts and like put the ball in play a little more, maybe, you know, that's not going to happen. But if he did, it would really like, strengthen that Mets team because they've already got guys that hit home runs. He doesn't, I mean, he doesn't need to do any of that, but you know, you've got the Mets Padres Dodgers. Those are three teams that you're more than likely are going to be in the postseason. So when they add like that, it's, it's a lot like it's very concerning. Cause like, yeah, we, we get there, but how far realistically can we go against these, like, I don't want to, like, super teams, basically? Right. Before I, before I kind of touch on that, big ups to Kyle Farmer. All those, all that talk about getting tre- uh, Trevor Story, Miguel Rojas, I mean, he just shut all those doubters and trade rumors right up. 395, 456, 691 splits in July, 13 extra base hits over the course of that stretch. I mean, he just absolutely used that as fuel and became a menace to society over that stretch. Who would have thought at the deadline Kyle Farmer would be hitting third in this Reds lineup? Right. Um, and then obviously, you know, you, you, uh, touched on 
the wild card race and the division title race. Um, you know, like you said, that NL West division is the division to watch. Um, you know, Padres, they added Frazier. They're three and a half games out of the second wild card spot. Um, but the injury to uh, Fernando Tatis, um, that could have a huge impact uh, on their hopes, even with that stacked roster. Um, you know, obviously you hate to see that uh, for Tatis um, and the Padres organization just from like a human being standpoint and a fairness standpoint. Um, but that's how the cookie crumbles sometimes in this game. And, um, and then you look elsewhere in the division, um, the Dodgers three and a half game lead on the first wild card spot. Um, like you touched on, they acquired Scherzer and Turner. I mean, that's just unfair. I mean, come on. <laughs> you get Max Scherzer and Trey Turner from the Nationals. And you get Scherzer basically to replace Trevor Bauer. I mean, that – and then, you know, they're, they're three games out of the Giants for the division lead. I mean, that roster, in my opinion – wins the division i mean obviously the giants have a great roster right now um with gosman and disclafani in that rotation uh they added bryant um mike yastrzemski uh posey's having a solid year and but they do have a uh i did look at their upcoming schedule they do have a mostly easy schedule coming up uh they have Six games uh, coming up against Arizona uh, over the course of the next week and a half, I believe. And then something that could help us in the long run, they do have three games against the Brewers uh, this week. So that's definitely something. Yeah, really move us up in the division. I mean, I think you hit it right on the head, like, as much as it sucks to like as a fan of just baseball in general to see Tatis go down like that, I mean, take you all human aspect out of it. This really couldn't happen at a better time for the Rats. I mean, to say that that's going to be a huge blow for that team, and we've got. We're four games out from San Diego of the wild card. They're playing Oakland right now. And we've got Minnesota and Pittsburgh. I mean, it just, these are going to be real. Let's just say you've got six games against Minnesota and Pittsburgh. Let's say you take five. Let's, or let's even say four. You put a buffer in there. Losing Tatis really, really hurts that team. It would hurt any team. You know, he's the face, one of the faces of baseball, electric player, supreme hitter. You know, he really, it's really a downgrade when he's not in that lineup. So, all human aspect aside, really couldn't happen at a better time for Cincinnati. Absolutely. And, uh, 
you know, obviously we've got, like you said, two games coming up against Minnesota um, who sold at the deadline. Uh, they lost uh, their ace, Barrios, and then they lost uh, Nelson Cruz. Uh, they lost Barrios to the Blue Jays and Cruz to the Rays. Um, you know, so that that's a big hole in their rotation. Um, I believe they don't have a set starter uh, for Wednesday. So that move kind of threw their rotation in flux. Um, so that might benefit us. And then obviously uh, the power threat of Cruz is gone. Um, so that kind of eases our pitchers' minds a bit. And then for again, coming up against a last place Pirates team who just lost uh, arguably one of the best hitters in the National League right now in Adam Frazier. Um, you know, obviously, you still have a threat in that lineup with uh, Cabriant Hayes, who, in my opinion, is probably the second coming of Andrew McCutcheon in terms of being an absolute Reds killer. He's going to be a problem. He is going to be a a real problem. He is, he is a very, very imposing presence at the plate. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, the pirates team, like they're bad, but right now they're bad right now um and i think especially like i mean they beat us in the wild card game you know what seven eight years ago now so that team's gonna go through ups and downs and i when that team goes through an up you're still gonna see cabrian hayes there he's gonna be that you know and Brian Reynolds too. Like those are just two guys that, I mean, they're young, talented, like they're really going to be an opposing force for Cincinnati. Um, You know, ultimately it turns out how the team's going to be and how, um, you know, how well you can you know pitch and your bullpen and things of that nature and stuff like that. But those are two really good hitters, just really good players in general. So, yeah, you lost Frazier, but you've got two young guys that are going to stay in the Central for a very, very long time. And, you know, the key word to this, you know, you don't want to say it's going to be an easy stretch, but it should be a stretch where you at least take, you know, five games. So, you know, despite how easy it may seem, you know, it's baseball. you got to play hard every single day. Got to play clean, stay healthy over this stretch. Um, And, you know, just obviously just go out there and do what you've been doing over this past stretch. Um, Just stay consistent. Yeah, if we play like we did, like we played in New York, I think there's just, especially with the home crowd, you know, I really just don't see where we don't take five games. I mean, you, if you play the way you played in New York, 
I think we're going to run through Minnesota. I mean, I just don't see with when teams are sellers at the deadline, especially when they had high expectations like Minnesota. At the beginning of the year, everybody was talking like they were going to take the AL Central. And now they're in last place. So you sell at the deadline. Buxton can't reach an agreement. You know, I just think it's very demoralizing. And then Pittsburgh's Pittsburgh. So, you know, they're not competing for anything other than draft picks and ticket sales at this point. So if we can take five, that'd be awesome. The only thing that really worries me is on the ninth, which is next Monday, we have a makeup game. So now from the third, we play from the third to the 22nd. Don't have an off day until the 23rd, which is going to suck because now you've got, I mean, you just bullpen everything. You got to worry about everything, getting guys rest, especially with some of the guys coming back from injury that we're looking to like playing every day like that. You know, you'd like to have an off day here and there, which it would have been next Monday would have been our off day after that Pittsburgh series. Um, But I think it's going to be really tough because you're traveling right after the Pittsburgh series. You go to Cleveland. Then right after one game in Cleveland, you go to Atlanta. And then right after the Atlanta series, you go to Philadelphia. And then you're going back home until the off day. So I'm really interested to see, because this is really going to be like a grind. Um, these next, what, two and a half weeks, three weeks. It's really going to be a grind. So I'm hoping that we stay healthy. Um, I think healthy is the, the main concern here. Right. And, you know, you mentioned uh, we're getting all these IL returns to um, Senzel. Uh, obviously, uh, you want to plug him into the outfield. Um, you know, to me, Tyler Naquin, uh, he's done as he's, he's done his best, uh, in center field. Um, and just obviously roaming the outfield really. Um, but to me, he isn't quite an everyday player. Um, so obviously getting Senzel back and, uh, giving, Nake wins some rest. Uh, that will really help. Um, Cassianos hopefully uh, won't be far behind. Uh, he, I saw on Twitter that he recently took batting practice at City Field. Um, obviously, he was with the uh, with the team on the road trip, um, and then along with Senzel rehabbing Louisville, you've got uh, Mustakis uh, and. Lucas Sims coming back. Um, Moustakis is huge coming back, especially with a struggling Eugenio Suarez. Giving Suarez uh, some rest and plugging Moose back into that lineup, that will be huge. Um, From what I've heard, he's done really well in his rehab assignment. Um, 
and then Sims, you know, that'll be a big uh, boost to that bullpen. Like you said, keeping those arms healthy um, over like a 20 some odd game stretch, you know, um, and then, you know, hopefully TJ Antone isn't too far behind. Uh, I saw an update where he's throwing two. So getting all these guys back is going to be huge, uh, especially for this stretch. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are just core pieces that we're naming off um, that are on the injured list right now. And to think that we're playing like this without Moustakas, without Castellanos, without Senzel, and without Sims and Anton in your bullpen, when those were the two guys that honestly early in the year were the only two guys that you could rely on. So I think we're in a very, very, very good spot. But with these injuries and with the schedule, I'm very, I don't want to say worried about it, but I want us to be very cautious and as fans of the team understand that you're not just going to like, just because a guy gets back doesn't mean you're going to throw him out there for nine innings every day for the next 20 days. Like you're going to have to platoon a little bit, you know, maybe, um, maybe uh, let's just say Moustakis comes in um, with a right-hander. And then if a lefty comes up, maybe play matchup a little bit. So Moustakis is only playing six innings of a game to start off this. Or with Senzel and Naquin and Shogo, just finding a way to get these guys uh, like a warm-up. Like a, I don't want to say spring training in a sense, but in a like set schedule and getting back into the swing of playing every day. Because if you – if you just throw Cassianos out there and he gets hurt again, when you have Aquino, Shogo, Naquin, and Winker all in the outfield, that's four healthy outfielders. So I'm going to be very, very pissed if we just throw Cassianos back out there. Okay, and that, now he's out for six weeks. And now, now you don't have him until at least the postseason, at least. Not to mention Schrock, who's been hot lately. He had that five game or five hit game yesterday. So yeah, I, how do we forget about Farmer and Schrock? I, I mean, mean Farmer's been unbelievable, and didn't even mention him. Crazy team's been hot. <laughs> Everyone's been that. hot, man. Yeah. Um. So I think um, to wrap this up, I think as of right now, you know, we've got, you're looking at the schedule. We've got about 56 games left. We're seven games back in the division, four in the wild card. What do you think is more likely at this point? Um, Do you think – like a wild card is more likely, or do you think we can really make a push towards that seven games? You know, obviously you always want to shoot for that division title. Um, and, you know, 
hopefully with um, with that stretch coming up uh, for Milwaukee, you know, playing uh, the Giants uh, three times this week, um, you know, hopefully that'll help us out uh, in that race. Um, you know, it, it's hard to tell, but I think we do have a very good shot at the division title, um, especially with all these injured guys returning soon. Um, so, you know, obviously you have the wild card as like, you know, a, a backup plan, but you're always shooting for that division title. You're always shooting for that higher seed in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, and it really helps that um, Castillo has been throwing really, really well lately. So let's say we get in the wild card and you have to throw Castillo or maybe you throw Gray or what, whoever you throw. You're throwing the guy that you think is going to advance you and ultimately who you think is your ace, your best pitcher. So not having him, whoever it is at the time, for that, you know, that next series for those first couple games can really, you know, swing that, that series. And honestly, I'm on the same page with you. I think there's a real, we have a really, really good shot at this division. I think that the Brewers didn't add a whole lot um, says is really going to influence what happens. Um, You know, Willie Adamas has been on fire, but ultimately, can he keep it up? To me, I don't think so. And the Brewers have a very tough schedule, especially going out west. You know, you're you're playing the Dodgers, you're playing the Giants, you're playing the Padres. Like, you're playing these teams. This is really a like a really good thing for the Reds because okay, let's say they go out to San Diego, and let's say. San Diego beats them three times. Really, really good for us. Let's say Milwaukee wins those three games. Still not a bad scenario for us. San Diego's losing. Those are the things you want to kind of see. Um, and it's such a tight race in that NL West. I, it's going to come down to the last couple of series. But ultimately, in the Central... At this point, I think the Reds have to be, I don't want to say favorites, but I think you're kind of like, uh, depending on how this next week goes, you can really talk about the Reds making a run at this thing. Hey, one bad week for the Brewers and, you know, a, a pretty even average week for us, and we're right back in the mix of things. You, you just never really know, but – I think we really, really, with the additions we've made, with the guys coming back from the IL, with the teams that we're playing, you can really make a really, really good run if you play the way we've been playing. You know, and like in that 20-game stretch, we play like teams like Miami, play Pittsburgh, play the Cubs. Like you're playing teams that are sellers and been trading pieces away. 
it's really time, I think, for us to like show that killer instinct to step on the throat, you know, really make a run and put us in a really good position come September, you know, early September, mid-September, that you just need a few games here and there and you can just take the division outright. Okay, I think uh, I think we're wrapping up there. See you guys in episode five.